Good morning, everybody. What a lovely sunny day. I'm sure we can't all can't wait to get outside and go and enjoy the sunny weather. And I know some people have got a picnic planned. And um, my wife and I are going on a nature trail, a guided walk this afternoon at Amwell Nature Reserve to look at orchids and uh, all the things that come with summer. Uh, but for now, we are going to learn a bit more about men and women in the Bible, our theme, a divine harmony. And as we are exploring at the moment, uh, we are in the Gospels and looking at interactions between Jesus and the woman around Jesus. Uh, I always find it particularly challenging when I'm kind of given a topic, especially when it's a bit the broad topic. It's like, you know, okay, where do I start? So Malcolm said, okay, you know, just carry on with Jesus and the woman in the Gospels, and you start exploring. And I, I saw in the Watford Word last Sunday and this Sunday, Malcolm did a really interesting study about Anna, a prophetess in the temple. So that one ticked one off the, off the list, so okay, let me put Anna aside. Uh, but I had quite an interesting experience. Uh, trying to come up with, okay, what's next? Now, who here have heard of ChatGPT or AI chatbots? A few of you. Okay, if you haven't, don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> um, but I had quite an interesting experience this week, uh, you know, getting some advice, trying to, to interact with ChatGPT, uh, which is a chatbot. So it's basically, for those of you who haven't heard of it, uh, it's a online, like a robot that you can talk to. And... Uh, it can tell you, you can have a conversation with it. And it, th this thing is incredibly clever. It has passed almost every exam you can think of. Uh, it, it has passed law exams. It has passed A-level exams. It has passed uh, um, <coughs> GP exams, I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, the GPs like to say, you know, it's like Penny's got a mug at home. Uh, that says, you know, uh, do you trust your Google more than my six years of GP training? I, I think that's under threat now with uh, ChatGPT and the AI bots. <laughs> but anyway, this, this thing is quite amazing. Uh, it's been trained to answer all kinds of questions. You can have a conversation with it. Uh, now, Microsoft has brought out an equivalent called Bing Chat and uh, Google as well called Bard. And you can, uh, it's interesting how they have different personalities. And you can ask them questions. They can, they can do amazing things. Like I've been using it at work. So like, please produce a six-slide six, uh, PowerPoint deck with uh, training material for this topic. And then it comes back and gives you exactly what you want. Up to a point. <laughs> because the whole thing is supposed, this thing is supposed to be very human. And, and you're supposed to, if you talk to it, not be able to distinguish whether it's a human or not that you're talking to. And then I realized this, uh, this week that this thing, yes, it's very human. It is just full of nonsense and, <laughs> and full of lies and confusion like, uh, like, like some humans, especially when it comes to the scripture. It, it got itself tied in all kinds of knots. Um, so I was like, trying to explore topics about Jesus and women in, in the Gospels. And I asked it some questions. And then I asked it some questions like, okay, can you just give me a list of, of all, the, all the, uh, the fathers and and daughters in the Bible. And it came up with names like Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> now, who knows who Ananias and Sapphira were? <laughs> they were a couple, husband and wife. So I asked it, and it's like, hang on, isn't Ananias and Sapphira married? It's like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, you are correct. I made a mistake. <laughs> they are married. They should not be in the list. <laughs> so it is a very humble chatbot, actually, I must say that. 
And then it's like, okay, here's the revised list. And it comes up with, uh, with Moses and Miriam. I'm like, in, are you sure Moses and Miriam aren't they brother and sister? It's like, in, no, you're correct. Uh, I am sorry, I made a mistake. Here's the revised list. And then it comes up with Abraham and Sarah. And uh, um, uh, uh, so, is it Abraham? Abraham and, hang on, Abraham and Isaac. Who was Isaac's wife? Rebecca. So it came up with Abraham and Rebecca and Isaac and Rachel. And I'm like, oh, you're getting closer, but these were daughters-in-law, not daughters. <laughs> and eventually it gave up and it said, okay, I'm sorry. I know, don't know enough about this topic to properly answer your question. <laughs> so, which is actually, again, it's quite humble. It's like, in, it's like in, it says, I'm sorry, I'm still learning. Uh, thank you for the correction. And I was like, I eventually gave up and realized I still have to write my own sermons. <laughs> So, but it was quite uh, quite interesting. I, I learned a few things, um, and I was uh, I was thinking about one of the topics I was thinking about was a mother and son, and the reason I, I brought up this as well was I realized that you know the answers you get very much depends on the question you ask, and I learned with this chatbot as well. That there's a new skill now. This may be something that's relevant for you in your career going forward. There's a new skill with this new AI technology. It's called Prompt engineering. It's like in how to ask the right question of the chatbot in the right way so you get the best answer. So I reshaped my question and said, I want an exhaustive list of all the blood fathers and blood daughters, or daughters and fathers by blood, not by marriage, excluding this and excluding that, blah, 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 blah. When I phrased the question with all the exact details of what I wanted, I actually got a better answer. What's interesting, so this, that's chat engineering. It's how to answer the, the questions in the right way so you ask the questions in the right way so you get the best answer. Um, so that's a new skill to develop. And uh, you can subscribe to websites and blogs that teach you how to, how to ask the right questions of the bots. But uh, what, I listened to, what I learned in this process as well, so I said, okay, let me go back and, uh, and do my own Bible study. A uh, few things I learned. I learned that this bot was trained by, by the, everything on the internet. It was basically just like this, you know, feeding this animal with everything, they, not everything, but they kind of eliminated some sources, but with everything the internet knows. So it can be a, like a human. And if you spend any amount of time on the internet, you will probably have realized by now that as much as you can learn on the internet, there's also a load of trash and garbage and misinformation and confusion on the internet. And you have to check your sources. And even this list of, that it gave me, it gave me some scripture references. And there's one or two, it's like, who's this? And I had to go and look up the scripture reference, and I was like, hang on, you, you got this confused. In the Old Testament especially, you know, some of these relationships, who's mother of who, and et cetera, et cetera. And clearly the chatbot's got no no idea of, of uh, polygamy and multiple wives and, you know, and, and who fits in where and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I also realized that check your references because I went and checked some of the Bible references and it had nothing to do with the answer that it gave. And it reminded me back about almost 30 years ago when I became a, a, a disciple for the first time. I kind of grew up in a Christian environment and had a bit of exposure to the Bible, went to church every Sunday, and I thought I knew about the Bible. 
until someone sat down with me and said, let's look at the Bible and really study it. And I realized, I actually don't know it. And there's a lot of things I believed in that I thought was in the Bible. And I even argued and said, no, that must be in the Bible. I grew up with that. And then I was like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's like, no, it's not there. I can't find it. And I realized that even in the Christian world, even in the religious world, when we read stuff, and you get these little quotes, oh, Mark 1, verse 15. Go and check it. See what it says. And see if the answer that you got is actually the right answer. So, which led me back to, uh, to first principles, which is open your Bible yourself and do some Bible study. <laughs> not what's given to you, not what someone else tells you, but what you can find out yourself. And what I found out is that even after 30 years, the Bible can still give me new answers if I ask it new questions. And I've read through the Bible multiple times in these 30 years, and, and from beginning to end. And still I find new things as I explore, and, I ask, and as I ask different questions. So on this topic of this theme of men and women in the Bible, a divine harmony, uh, I said, okay, let me, let me look at mothers and sons in, in the Gospels. And there's actually a number of them. Um, and my scope was a bit wide in the beginning. I said, okay, I realized I had to narrow it down. Now, who can think of uh, mothers and sons in the Gospels? Who do, who do we know of? Penny. Um, Mary and Jesus. Mary and Jesus. Okay, thank you, Penny. We'll pick yours as a topic for today. <laughs> Good thing I prepared for that. <laughs> Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Yes. Sorry, who had three sons? King David's sister, Julia. Oh, oh, in the Old Testament. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean specifically in the Gospels. Yeah. Yes, I can. Yes, Elizabeth and 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 her son John the Baptist. Yeah, good one. That that that's a good study. Uh, anybody else? Who else do we know of? Yes. Peter and his mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and in Acts as well. We. Read about that. Yeah. Who else? Timothy. Yeah, T Timothy and Eunice. And yeah. Um, who else? Yeah, there's, there's actually quite a few more. Um, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, whose mother came to Jesus and said, "Oh, you know, my sons. <laughs> you know, can you give them a special place?" <laughs> so that's quite an interesting study. Um, it is not definitely so, but it's most likely that she was Salome. And if you look up Salome, you'll find out there's quite a bit about Salome. She was one of the women at the, at the crucifixion. Um, so so there's actually quite a lot about mother and son. Um, but I decided to delve into Mary as a mother and Jesus as her son. And just exploring the three questions we've been trying to ask. What do we learn from Jesus as a man? That's our topic, men and women and their harmony and the, in the Bible. Jesus as a man, and Mary as a woman, and their interactions, and their relationship. And it's interesting because usually we think of, if, it, if we look at the topic like that, men and women in the Bible, divine harmony, we tend to think in terms of couples, man and woman, husband and wife. That's kind of the most, or, or kind of leadership roles in the church. But this idea of mother and son, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Let's see what we can learn from this mother and son, Jesus, and this mother, Mary. So we're going to jump to, uh, to Jesus as an adult. But what do we know of Mary and Jesus 
from before he reached adulthood. What do we read in the Bible? What do we know about their interactions? Where we read about them together? Any thoughts? Yes? Well, Mary enters, they both get caught in him, and he's 12 years old, and that's when we can't find him. Yeah. Well, what were you doing? How come you just vanished? And I totally sympathize with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, Jesus got left behind. Not got left behind. Yeah, got left behind. He stayed behind. They thought he was safe with the family somewhere, halfway out of Jerusalem, on the way back home out of Jerusalem. Where is Jesus? They go back. They find him uh, in the temple. And... Uh, um, so I'll come back to this now. And a very interesting point there, which we'll come back to, uh, is it said after they found him, he said, you know, don't you know that I'm supposed to be in my father's house? And then it says in Luke, and Jesus was obedient. He obeyed his parents. That's the last thing we read about him as a child. Yes. Uh, thank you. I was thinking of the time when uh, Jesus did his first miracle at the uh, wedding. And uh, I think uh, his, his mom was pressing Right, so we're going to start there, because that's his first adult interaction. Right, so as a child, we read about him when he was about 12 years old in the temple, and that's the last time we read about him as a child. And then we also know about him, yes, Atim? Oh, no, I was going to say he's going to Exactly, yeah, we don't know how much he remembers about that, but, you know, there's his birth, there's the uh, fleeing to Egypt, living in exile in Egypt, and then moving back, yes? Slightly after you put in the manger, it's the prophecy, I think, that Anna or Simeon gives, and it says that these words pierced Mary's heart. Right. And she must have, I've often thought that she must have carried that all through her yeah. life until the day Jesus went on the cross. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's a, there's a, we, we know quite a bit about him as a child, but let's focus on him as, as a son, as an adult son. So men and women... Uh, in the Bible. And the first time we read about the interaction between Jesus and his mother is in, uh, in John chapter 2, from verse 1. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So this is important. This is, he already started his ministry. We already called his disciples, or, or at least some of them. We don't know if it was all of them, but at least some of them have been called already. Verse uh, 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So there's a good hospitality tip there. You know? if, you, if you entertain a lot, you know, and you can't afford the best wine for everybody. Anyway, uh, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. 
After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Now, well known, this is the first miracle that Jesus did. What, uh, what, what catches our attention here? What, what do we see that... Danny? So that as far as it's told, Mary seems to be already aware. <laughs> yeah. So Jesus somehow, somehow, we don't know if he already did miracles, but Mary, his mother, somehow already knew. Now there is a tradition, a Catholic tradition, which is not in the Bible, that as a child Jesus made some birds of clay and then they turned into real birds and flew away. And uh, you actually can read that in the Quran as well, that, that tradition about Jesus. But we don't find it in the Bible. But uh, maybe she knew already. So there's something that, something that she knew, but it's also maybe she saw something. Maybe she just believed the prophecy that was given to her in, in the beginning, that, that she shared that faith already. Yeah, anything else? Yes, yes, yeah. I like that it always makes you smile when Jesus said, but I was not yet come. And she basically seems to completely ignore that and say to do whatever he tells you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's just pause that and we're going to pick up on that. David. I guess it's not going to be about like some of their guests. I've never actually noticed it before. Um, but the certain, the, the certain way of water, which yeah. was cleansing, and it turned into wine, yeah. and it's kept it from Christ. Another word is we have a week, every week. Wow, that's really deep. Yeah, I, 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 I've never, any time I've looked before, I've never got it, and it's suddenly. No, I, I, that's exactly what I was saying. You ask new questions, you get new answers. That is quite amazing. Yeah, I like that insight. Uh, so for those of you who didn't hear, he said, it, it is quite interesting that the water that was used wasn't just any old water. It was kind of like holy water, pure water for ceremonial washing, turned into wine, which connects to the communion that we have, where the wine continues to purify us, as it says in First John. Um, it continues to purify us from, from sins. So, amazing insight. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Shall we just jump to communion? <laughs> oh man, I have to change slide six quickly. <laughs> so, um, yes, I can. Uh, so, sorry, Thank you, Akin. So, um, so for those who didn't hear, and for those people online, um, he said the, the, the depth and the level of communication, the depth of the relationship between Jesus and his mother, and the way they interact, and kind of he almost kind of tells her off, but then connects with what Lucia said, which I want to come on to next, is he goes ahead anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that is quite a quite an interesting interesting interaction. Uh, that um, anybody else? Yes. I mean, I've never speak to my mom like that. I've never said. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that is interesting. And uh, again, I asked Bard and ChatGPT and Bing. <laughs> it's like, in why did you why did Jesus speak to his uh, to his mother like that? Like in woman. <laughs> and it's like maybe in English it's very offensive. Is it a translational thing? Is it a is there another time he speaks to her like that? Does anybody know? Yeah. Yeah. On the cross. On the cross. When he's hanging on the cross, we'll come back to that to that later. He says, uh, "Woman, there is your son." 
So twice he speaks to her like that, here and again when he's hanging on the cross. Um, I asked the, the bard, the, 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 the AI guru, the bot, and he didn't know either. It said it's a, it says the clever people are or basically scholars, are speculating. Uh, it may have been cultural and a culturally acceptable way to speak to your mother um, in, in, in a public setting. So, so it's not clear. It's not clear why he spoke to her like that. Um, it could be one of them speculates that in Judaism, uh, and again, it's speculation, in Judaism, there's kind of a big thing when you turn into an adult and you're not, you, you kind of, you become independent now. So your mother is your mother and you have to obey them like he did, like Jesus did, like it says in Luke, until you become an adult and then you don't have to obey them anymore to the same extent. Uh, and that kind of terminology of the way he addresses her shows that distinction between uh, I address you as a woman and not as my mother. Because if he were saying, mother, why do you involve me? It would kind of be, dis that would actually be disrespectful and challenging her parenthood. Whereas woman kind of detaches it from that context. So that's the speculation, why he uses that term. Um, it is interesting. It is interesting that he speaks to her like that. Um, so I want to come back to what Lucia said as well. When I looked at this, I was like, this is really interesting. The, the connection and the dynamic between Jesus and his mother, where what is the norm? The norm of the time was that, that women were generally subservient to men. So men kind of ruled the world. They were, they were the leaders in general, um, especially spiritually, even though they were female prophets like Anna in the temple. She was a prophetess. Uh, the Pharisees and the priests were all men. So there was, there was that dynamic. And at what point does a man become at a point where it's like, and he doesn't have to obey his mother anymore. And that is really interesting. I, I was thinking about that for myself. And for, maybe it's different in different cultures, but there's a kind of bond between a, a, a son and a mother which transcends growing up. And I noticed it, I notice it now. My kids are all adults now officially, but we still talk about them as our kids, our children. <laughs> um, Sometimes we still expect them to obey and behave and according to the norms we expect of them. Uh, and I was thinking about my own mother. It's like, in, you know what? I think if there's one person whose, whose opinion weighed heavier than anybody else still in my life, even when I was in my 40s and then 50s, uh, it was my mother. You know, other people are like, okay, yeah, thanks for your opinion, thanks for your advice, I'll take it into account, I listen to it. But when mother speaks, there's a differently a different dynamic. And Joe goes, mm hmm <laughs> right? I know the turmoil that that sometimes can cause. It's a, it's a very challenging dynamic. And what do we see Jesus here doing? He says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. But then what happens next? Mum says, well, yes, whatever, mom. yeah. Yes, mom. He's <laughs> basically, yes, mom. He doesn't directly acknowledge her. She doesn't directly acknowledge him. They're like, oh, well, let's not make an argument, an argument about this. But she tells the people, you know, you know, just do what he says. 
And he just goes ahead and says, okay, well, let me just do something. Mom clearly expects something of me. It seems like there's, even in this relationship between Jesus and his mother, kind of breaking the norms of, of uh, men-women leadership roles of the time, where he's the rabbi, he's the teacher, he's the respected one, but still he obeys and listens to his, to his mother. And uh, now what's interesting, so he goes with his mother and brothers to, uh, back to Capernaum, their hometown, uh, and there they stayed for a few days. So this time, obviously, they are still close. His mom sees the miracle. Um, she, she, she observes it. Obviously, I assume, it builds her faith as well, as well as the disciples, because it says, you know, it, it was the first time he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Uh, maybe the same for his mom. But it didn't quite stay like this. Any other thoughts or questions, comments about this passage? Yes. What's interesting for me is that it was the mother who decided to reveal Jesus to the world. Interesting that. The mother decided to, to reveal Jesus to the world. That is interesting, yeah. I haven't thought about that. Maybe, maybe he needed that. Come, but she's, but she's, she's the one. Eager. Yeah. This is my son. Yeah. situation with a miracle. Yeah. And oh, that is interesting, yeah. Mum knows best. Yeah, mum knows best. <laughs> Jesus said, my time has not yet come. But mum knew, no, your time has come. <laughs> it's time now. And that's what, it's always ties up to life. It's like, what's the significance of this? Because it's like, you go into a wedding, like, what was she expecting to do? It's yeah. like, I'm trying to okay, well, whatever. And so this, to me, there must be a greater symbolism in, in this. Yeah. And just, Sign. Then just the sign, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not what he planned or as he planned it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now the hour has come. Yeah. 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 The last supper, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So, um, so some 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 good lessons here. Right? I think yeah, mum knows mum knows best. She had to give him a bit of a push. Jesus thought it's not the time, but maybe God revealed it to Mary, and no, it is. Maybe he needs a bit of help. I was thinking more of mother's pride. Mother's pride. Oh, that is a good one. That is true. Yes. Which mother does not believe that their son is just the greatest? You know, the mother's pride. It's like, you know, my son will fix it. You know? <laughs> um, wow. Loads and loads of answers. Uh, learning a lot here from a passage that, uh, that I've looked at many times before. Thanks, everybody, for, uh, for enlightening me and uh, all of us. We learn together. We, what does Malcolm always say? We learn best when we learn in community. Okay, so let's move on. Now Jesus goes about and he teaches, and uh, we're in kind of somewhere in the middle of his ministry in Matthew 10. And this is not a direct interaction, but it's a good segue into what happens next. So Jesus teaches uh, the people about various things. And here in Matthew 10, verse 34, Jesus speaking and he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Very controversial scripture, that. And uh, if you talk to many Muslims, they will often quote the scripture to you and say, yeah, but how about Jesus? He was not a man of peace because he said, I came to bring 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, or a son against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And here comes the challenge. Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their light will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now verse 37 here, or this whole passage, is kind of the, the, the call to action, the, the, the challenge for the life of a disciple. You know, if you want to be a follower of Christ, he must be number one. And it may cause some trouble with your family, if you just make this decision to follow Jesus and say, I'm a Christian, and make some life choices that's in line with that, uh, it, you know, it can cause all kinds of family, family problems and challenges and trouble. But Jesus said, you know, if you don't make the choice and say, it's Jesus above all, I'm taking up my cross and following him, then you're not worthy of him. That's a gauntlet. It's a, it's a challenge for, for every disciple of Christ. But in a way, Jesus also sows the seed here, or throws the gauntlet down for uh, the relationship between him and his own mother. Because Jesus never asked anybody, or challenged anybody, or called anybody to do anything, or live up to an expectation or standard that he was not willing to do himself. He did not call anybody to a path of suffering which he was not willing to suffer for himself. So he kind of sets himself up here for a challenge. You know, when, we, when these kind of things happen, Satan is not far away. He's listening, looking for an opportunity. And we know when Jesus was tempted in the desert, and he resisted, it says, and then the devil went away to wait for a later opportunity. And the opportunity came. Jesus preaches this, and very soon afterwards... In Matthew 12, verse 46, we read, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Now, in, uh, I think it's in Luke, we actually read that they, they thought he was out of his mind. And they, they thought he's gone mad. Um, so, verse, verse 47, Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Suddenly, he's in exactly the situation which he was preaching about two chapters earlier. And he's confronted with the same choice. Who will I follow? You know, will I choose my own mother above the truth. And my mother wants to, you know, his mother wants to stop his ministry, wants to, to get him declared mad, wants to almost turn people against him because he's, he's lost his head. Will he cave in and say, yes, mother, and go along? Or will he resist? And what does he do? He says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Now, this is 
quite a challenging interaction because obviously something has developed between that first miracle and this point where the relationship between Jesus and his mother, we don't know, it, 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 I don't know if it disintegrated, but it's definitely kind of took a path, an uh, unexpected path. Um, I'm not sure what led to it. Uh, maybe it's because he left home and he started traveling around. We know Joseph wasn't in the picture. So maybe Jesus was responsible for taking care of his mother and he abandoned her, kind of abandoned her. But we don't know, it's speculation. But certainly she wanted to bring him home and put a stop to this ministry that is, this mission that he was on. This, uh, what she thought was this craziness. I, I kind of understand that. Um, my mother, bless her, she's passed away two years ago, but when I became a disciple, I was all in. I was sold out. And I did all kinds of crazy stuff for those who were not, who did not understand the, the level of commitment. Did all kinds of crazy stuff uh, in the name of I'm a disciple now. That even my mom came and said, you know what, you need to find some balance. And aren't you going a bit too far? You know, it's like she, she, she also tried to stop me. And it's like, hang on, what are you busy with? Um, th this is too serious. It's like, Mom, how can, how can you say Christianity is too, being a Christian is too serious? It's like, no, you need to enjoy life a bit as well. <laughs> and so on and so on. I experienced it as well, maybe not to the same extent as Jesus, but it brought a, a tension in our relationship that, that lasted for a few years before we kind of reconnected and our relationship actually went deeper after that. Um, that's what Jesus was saying to us. So, any thoughts, any comments on, on, on this development in their relationship? If we ask those questions, what do we learn about Jesus in this uh, interaction and in the story? It, yeah? it tells us that this is what we fully understand God's plan for his life. Or maybe she did. I had that was not really our past, but I think my personal opinion she was acting out fear for him because um, she wanted to protect her boy. Yeah. And it was getting too serious in terms of you know, her safety and things like that around him. That's a really good point. I haven't thought about that. You know, sometimes we think about oh, she had bad intentions, but uh, what Danny says is. As a mother, she wanted to protect her boy, protect her son, because things was getting dangerous by this time. He was making enemies, and his life was being threatened. And maybe she just wanted to protect him and, and you know, get him out of that dangerous situation. It was a, an act of caring rather than you know, challenging what he was doing. I haven't thought about it like that. He's using the bicycle language in verse 48 and 49. Yeah. So... There's always division, divisions happening, and he's using more divisive language. Yeah, he's using the divisive language. Yeah. You see that? I was thinking it shows, um, it shows how important to Jesus the people who are following are. That the board of the disciples, he sees us on the same level. He says that they're his friends, and that's actually mind blowing. But it also shows us a sense of family. 
is actually he rates us on the same level as his own blood, brothers and mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's a really good, how Jesus sees us. It kind of connects with Jesus wouldn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done himself. But that also connects us with him uh, in the sense that he understands and he knows what we go through. Um, it definitely reminded me of the challenge of being a disciple is that whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. It is sometimes we are faced with uh, situations that that goes above the dynamics of men, women, men, women relationships, whether that is a marriage or whether it is a mother, father, or a father, son, or father, daughter, or whatever that relationship is, or even leadership or authorities that as men and women called to discipleship to be called the sister of Jesus, to be called the brother of Jesus, sometimes we need to, to face that reality of it's going to damage some relationship here. And to what extent do we compromise our faith and our convictions and what we believe in? Where, where do we cross that boundary to preserve the relationship? And for Jesus, it was obviously this crosses the boundary where it is not worth for me to, just for the sake of preserving this relationship with my mother, to give up on my convictions. That's what I kind of uh, take out of this. All right, let's move along. Um, so uh, we'll briefly just look at this. So what happens is that uh, a bit later on, next chapter, but some sometime later on, um, Jesus goes back to his hometown in verse uh, Matthew 13, verse 54. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. Uh, and the people in verse 55 says, isn't this a carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? etc., etc., uh, verse 57, and they took offense at him. Um, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. I've kind of read that many times. And for some reason, I first time, for the first time recognized that he said, and in his own home. I don't know how I missed that previously, but so a prophet is without honor also in his own home. So at some point, Jesus went back to his hometown and it seems like things have still not been mended with, uh, with his mom. Because he says, like, you know, I'm not honored in my own home, even. So things are still not how they should be or, you know, with his mother. Um, that's the last time we read about the interaction between Jesus and his mother. Not a happy ending. It's like an, oh, oh dear. What happens next? We don't know. We don't read of her again until Jesus hangs on the cross. Which is, uh, takes us to the point of, uh, of, of having communion, where we remember the cross. So what happened there? In John 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. So regardless of what happened in their relationship, regardless of the fact that even when he went home, he wasn't, I don't know, he wasn't welcomed in the town. They wanted to throw him off the cliff. But maybe he wasn't even welcome at home. I don't know. He said he wasn't honored in his own home. And regardless of the fact that his mom kind of disappears out of his ministry, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. She was there. His mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, 
54, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So we see Mary present at the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus obviously has her on his heart. And he wants to make sure that she's taken care of. But it also made me think again, you know what? It was maybe, you know, when Jesus was in the house there and mom was outside and he said, yeah, you know what, if you, if you obey my father's will, then you're my mother. That's kind of like, and, you know, he was still alive. And things were going, you know, he's in the swing of his ministry. But here he is hanging on the cross, seeing his mother approaching him again, and him willingly, willingly being there on the cross, being able to put a stop to it, seeing his mother suffer. I mean, what greater suffering can there be than for a mother to see her own son die? It's kind of a, we accept in life that children, your parents get older and they pass on. That's how life works. But the other way around, it's always an extremely difficult thing for a parent to lose the child. And for his mom to stand there and see him dying. And for him to see her going through that. And yet to go through with it. Yet not come down from the cross. Not, yet not calling on the angels to come and rescue him. It really expresses and puts into practice what he said. My father's will is more important than anything else. And his father's will was for him to die on that cross. That's what he submitted to. I can just imagine the, the agony. What happened after that, we're not sure. We don't know if his mother was actually one of the people that he appeared to after his resurrection. Um, we know that they're not all mentioned because Paul says in Corinthians that he appeared to more than 500 people or hundreds, 500 plus other, maybe hundreds more. But we do know in Acts 1 verse 12 that uh, after Jesus appeared to everybody and he uh, ascended to heaven in Acts 1 verse 12, it says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, who was now the son of Mary, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Ophias, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Mary and his brothers who opposed his ministry, who tried to stop him, were all back there with seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out after they prayed here in the room, with seeing Jesus ascending to heaven. So in the end, at least for Mary, maybe it was worth it. So she also could become a disciple. And when we have uh, the bread and the wine now and we have communion, it really struck me for, for the first time of all the many sacrifices that Jesus made so that my sins can be forgiven. I just realized probably that was, in my eyes, the biggest sacrifice ever. Seeing his own mother there standing, watching him die. What a bigger sacrifice could there be? 
And whatever your relationship is with your mother, you know, maybe it's great, maybe it was great, maybe it's not so great. There's a connection there that has a depth and a meaning that, uh, that, uh, that challenges our thinking and our understanding. And when we have the fruit of the vine and the bread, uh, and we think about Jesus on the cross who died for the forgiveness of our sins, let's uh, reflect on him going through the suffering of seeing his mother watching him die.